economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to the show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And finally, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Well, just when I thought we've talked enough about vaccines, Dr. Clark thought it would be a good topic today because we haven't talked enough about kids and vaccines. And so the reach is continually on, it seems. And we've got new variants that are, oh, destroying America. So we have new fear on the horizon. And so kids are on the line. And Dr. Clark, what were you thinking about? Well, there has, of course, been a huge push to vaccinate everybody. And previously, right now, kids under 12 aren't being, there's not so much pressure to vaccinate kids under 12. But it seems like that is something that's starting to change. So there was an editorial published in the New York Times two days ago saying, you know, we need to vaccinate kids under 12. And I just know anecdotally, I've heard a lot of you know, people who are friends saying things like, oh, well, I can't wait, you know, I'll feel much better once we're able to vaccinate these kids. And this also seems to be something that teachers unions are pushing, saying, well, we can't open fully until we make sure all the kids are vaccinated. And I think this is a really, really dangerous and dumb thing to be doing. And I'd be happy to spell out why. Yeah, well, I guess between you and Peter, you've got kids in that under 12 range. So it's a, something a little near and dear to your heart, I'm sure. And so, yeah, why, why was the 12 thing? I mean, I guess we could peel back a little bit and talk about some of the uncertainty with just people getting vaccinated in general. It sounds like there's been some research that says, how many people are we actually hurting getting vaccinated versus the people that we're saving? So that was um, some interesting insights. But, you know, I mostly get concerned with Number one, as we've done in multiple podcasts before, overwhelming the healthcare system. I heard that Missouri right now is reaching its limits in certain places on treating people with COVID. And then, of course, the death rate. And so I, as near as I haven't looked at the data for a while, but for kids under 12, it's almost non-existent with, with those sorts of things. And so do you think getting vaccinated potentially poses even more of a risk for harming kids under 12 because not doing so might be better off? Yes. The rate is pretty much statistically zero for kids under 12 to die of COVID, right? Most of the time, they don't even know they get it. They're asymptomatic. They don't even spread it very well. So there is the benefit from receiving the vaccine to those children is also, since the risk of COVID is so low, the benefit of receiving the vaccine is statistically pretty close to zero too. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is that we know that especially the mRNA Pfizer vaccines, those do seem to have some side effects in some cases, in particular myocarditis, which is a swelling of the heart. And this disproportionately happens in males, and it disproportionately happens in young, healthy males. And it seems to disproportionately happen 
after the second shot is administered. So since that's the case, the risk imposed by the vaccine on young, healthy males is higher in most cases than the risk from getting COVID. Now, so in terms of from an economics jargon, marginal benefit zero or close to zero, infinitesimally close to zero, and marginal cost. Now, even if you get a cold or sick or something, there seems to be costs higher at the margin than the benefit. Yes. Which fails the test for if the marginal benefit's greater than marginal cost, do it. If it's not, don't. And so you're leaning towards the don't side from a marginal analysis, it sounds like. Yes. And it's even actually, I think the argument for vaccinating kids is even worse than this, right? Because we actually know that of the kids, and there are very, very few of them who have died of COVID, they have underlying issues as well. Mm. They are, for the most part, in vast numbers, not children who are otherwise healthy. So what we could say is something like, look, if you do have a kind of underlying issue that might put you at a higher risk for COVID death, then maybe the vaccine makes sense for you. But if we take those kids out of the sample of zero to 12, then the risk of COVID plummets even further. And the other thing is, we don't seem to know ahead of time who is at risk from myocarditis. So though we can selectively administer the vaccine to maybe kids who would otherwise have a risk from COVID, it doesn't seem like we can selectively not vaccinate those kids who would be at risk from myocarditis because that seems to be randomly distributed. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there was a study that came out in, let's see, MDPI. It's a you know, I think I sent you guys this one. And it used the numbers from Israel, which was one of the countries that had the largest amount of vaccinations and the earliest amount of vaccinations. And they conducted just in general, a number needed to vaccinate, what's called the number needed to vaccinate NNTV, which is the number of people you need to vaccinate in order to save one life. And they concluded that that number was between 200 to 700. Then they looked at the rate of adverse reactions to the vaccines. And in that case, it was around 700 per 1,000 vaccinations. And out of those 700, 16 had serious side effects, and the number of fatal side effects was about four in every 100,000. Now, if you analyze those two numbers, the number needed to vaccinate and the numbers of fatalities that are caused by the vaccine, what you arrive at is that for every three deaths prevented by vaccination, it costs two deaths from complications from the vaccination itself. And that's a society-wide level, right? So to, there's still a gain of one. Yes. Okay, I just wanna make so sure. There is a gain of one, matter, right? right? But even though I really hate thinking that way, especially when it comes to death and life here, but yes. But what's interesting about the study is it's society-wide, right? But the thing about COVID is we know that the elderly have a rate of risk that's a thousand times that of young people, right? Mm -hmm. So we could get those, those numbers, you know, we could really get those numbers in a much better place if we did something like not administer a second mRNA shot to young, healthy males, right? because the first mRNA shot you get gets you into the 90s or very close to the 90s as far as immunity or whatever, immunity or protection or goes. Protection. It's the second shot that gets you up into like 96, 97. 
And, you know, if you read the New York Times editorial, which says, you know, we need to vaccinate everybody, we need to vaccinate children, the argument is, well, we know that the vaccines work. And we also know that two shots provides the best amount of protection. And while that's true at the society-wide scale, it doesn't appear to be true for young, healthy males. And I would suspect that it might not be true for young, healthy females as well since the adverse reactions always seem to come after the second shot. And we know that the first shot provides you with a decent amount of protection. So maybe we should be doing something like selectively administering second shots where only people who are in a higher risk category get that second shot. And I would, I would love to do the numbers on that because that seems like an obvious flaw in the reasoning that's deployed in the editorial. One of the fallacies that you learn, you know, early in like an econ 101 or a micro course, it's actually sometimes explicitly in textbooks. One of the fallacies that you learn as a fallacy is that, you know, the the old saying that everything worth doing is worth doing well. Economics actually teaches us that that's not the case, that there are some things worth doing poorly because, you know, as you do something more and more and more, you have to employ more and more costly measures in order to do that. That is, you know, if I spend the first hour on an activity, I can give up my leisure time. But by the eighth hour, I'm giving up like time with my family or something like that. And so the cost increases as you do something more. So there are some things that are worth doing, you know, a half good job at, <laughs> and it's, it's worth the benefit. And I, I think this 90% to 96% really gets at that that maybe it's okay, you know, the, the arguments that, well, we need to have everyone have the most immunity possible. Well, that depends on the cost. I mean, yeah. I think getting everyone to a 90% standard, you know, even health, you know, let's say that there are no adverse reactions at all. I'm curious how much it costs to manufacture the vaccine and have, where those resources could go. And so if everybody gets one shot and you use, and that gives you a 90% immunity, and I, I don't know these numbers, I trust you, Dr. Clark, on that. I haven't looked into those. <laughs> No, I just, I haven't. I just want to say that's non-medical Dr. Clark, but anyway. (laughs) He's as much of a doctor as Joe Biden. So that's, (laughs) we we always have to keep that in mind. And so I've just, you know, that, that extra 6% to me, I, my guess is it it would be, you know, even the, the, the question I always pose to my students is, you know, would we rather use this 1 million, 1 billion, $1 trillion spending bill to do X, Y, and Z in the U.S. or, you know, the Against Malaria Foundation boasts that with $6,000, they can save a life with a malaria vaccine. And so that's your trade-off. It's like, how much are we spending for that extra 6%? How many people's lives could you save with malaria vaccines? You know, maybe you might have like some sort of nationalist argument on why that's not like a perfect one-to-one translation, but it, it, it matters. You know, we're, we're foregoing saving people when we spend resources. So so that's an important consideration as well. So yeah, I, I I wasn't aware of the the first shot, second shot. I didn't realize it was that big of a breakdown. Another issue, which you alluded to, Dr. Clark, is, you know, a lot of kids don't know that they get COVID. And so we talked about the benefit of the COVID shot and how it's, you know, relatively small because kids don't have serious complications from COVID. Well, it's even smaller than that because a lot of kids have partial immunity. We don't know to what extent the immunity, immunity exists, but unless COVID is unlike any disease we've had before, you get some immunity when you get the disease itself. So, you know, if a bunch of kids out there who have had COVID but didn't know it are partially immune already, well, the vaccine provides them even less benefit. That marginal benefit is even lower because, you know, it's not providing them, maybe they're 60% immune right now, and maybe it's an extra 30% for the cost. And I, I just kind of find it, you know, ridiculous the, that we've outsourced so much of this opinion to politicians and bureaucrats. Basically that we're, we're not allowed to, as people think critically about this and say, hey, well, you know, 
cost benefit, 0% chance of death for my kid from, you know, COVID. And, you know, a, a reminder that this is not like an officially FDA approved vaccine. This is still an experimental vaccine. And so I think that alone is like a, something a reasonable parent could take away and say, no, I'll pass on this one, at least for a few months, or at least until they turn, you know, 12, or at least until they turn 18. It seems like a reasonable opinion to me. A lot of people would, would screech at you for having that opinion at all. But bureaucrats and politicians and even scientists aren't experts in like should statements. Should I get my kid vaccinated? That's not a scientific question. Should is never a scientific question. These are moral or philosophical questions. So I, I, I just and, kind of and moral shocking. in the sense that each person's benefits or costs are different from other people. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So yeah. We need to weigh that out ourselves. Right. Yeah. It's, it, Science brings us to a certain point yes. where we can analyze risk and other things, but then there's other factors that are special to my, my kid or my family or my environment or my state. And then you have to take it from there. Yeah. It's like, I can look at scientifically, look at cars and figure out which one goes zero to 60 the fastest, but that actually doesn't tell me which car everyone should get. Like, I can't say, well, this one goes zero to 60 the fastest. So everyone get it. No, some people want a, a truck, like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like people have different backgrounds and experiences. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break. Um, when we come back, I want, um, especially maybe D uh, Dr. Clark here to, I don't know why we're calling you Dr. Clark the whole time. I guess I started it off, didn't I? So uh, Justin's going to uh, Dr. Clark, talk, <laughs> talk to us maybe about kids' rights and maybe a Christian perspective on, on some of these issues uh, related to kids. So we'll be back in just a bit. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star review. It helps other people find us. We'd like to do a mailbag episode, so please send your questions to info at gourtneyinstitute.org. The Gourtney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing. Faith and economics in action. The Gourtney Institute has a new high school microeconomics class that counts for college credit. Uh, come talk to Peter Russ to see more about how you could fit this into your homeschool curriculum or at your high school for the low price of around $200. You can get some college credit. And even if you don't come to Ottawa University, you can transfer it to somewhere else. If you or someone else you know is looking for a college like that, contact Peter or Justin or Russ today. Don't forget to check out our show notes for this episode at podcast.123povertysucks.org. Okay, so we're back and I thought maybe we'd lead off a little bit with, uh, I mentioned kids' rights at the break and, and then also maybe a Christian perspective. So Peter, what, what are you thinking how this fits into a Christian perspective in terms of parents having some autonomy on maybe choosing whether a person under the age of 12 goes down the vaccine route or not? Yeah, well, I, I think that ultimately the biblical design for families involves that parents have authority over their children, but they also have responsibility because of that. And part of having responsibility is being able to make the decisions that you believe are best. Uh, you know, there, there's not any commandment in, in the Bible that, you know, delegates a parent's responsibility to, you know, local priests or experts or anything like that. You know, ultimately, Parents have their, their responsibility to, to make decisions for their children. And so children don't have no rights, uh, but in, in an ideal world, children have loving parents who are basically advocating for their children's rights. And, and that's ultimately what's going on. And, and I think that 
that requires parents to have an active say in what happens with their kids. Uh, by the way, whether or not we agree with it, it's it's sort of like the the case of speech. If if we don't have you know hate speech covered by the First Amendment, well, you know the First Amendment isn't for speech that's well liked. Likewise, I think parental authority, you know, that sort of circumstance doesn't it, 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 like giving parents authority over their children isn't there. So parents can tell their children not to be mean to each other. Right. It's because we believe that parents know what's best for their children in their particular circumstance with very, very few exceptions. And, it, you know, you really have to, to prove that there's a terrible instance of ne- neglect or something like that happening to, I think, tread on a parent's authority over their children. I think what, what Justin might be bringing up here is, uh, is the is the state potentially creating a, a child abuse setup that if you don't vaccinate, we might have a case against you or something? I mean, could, it, could we go that far? I, I would hope we wouldn't, but socially and, and possibly through law, it, it's, it's at least a possibility. Yeah, of course. I, I, I could definitely see that being the case. And look, Peter's 100% right that parents do have to look out for the best interests of their children. And we should just say like, parents have to do this all the time. Every single decision that you make, you know, if you, you know, when you get your kids like vaccinated for MMR or, you know, the MMR shot, it's because you think that the benefits of that outweigh the costs of it. There are costs to it. Even the safest vaccines, there are, uh, Children do have reactions to yeah, them, yeah. but if you you know look at the literature, it seems like the the benefits far outweigh the cost for that particular vaccine. Car seats, you know, you know, a, a car seat can kill a child. Seat belts kill uh, adults every year, right? A seat belt, you know, a non negligible number of people die by being trapped in their car by their seat belt after an accident. But we, uh, you know, when you buckle up, you know, I always buckle up, and it's because I know that the risk of dying in an accident when I don't have my seatbelt on far outweighs the risk of dying in an accident when I do have my seatbelt on. And I think what we have seen over the past year is that majority of Americans and you know the super majority of politicians and reporters cannot do this kind of cost benefit analysis that we're talking about, <laughs> or they just refuse to. Well, and unfortunately, my actual one of my greater fears with this is, you know, I, I've used this phrase in the in the past before in, in different contexts. But the one of the ideas that I bought into a lot over the past you know year or so is this idea that opposition is collaboration to some extent. And so I think the, what, what's going on here a lot is that there seems to be like a very strong insistence to push this. You know, you're seeing, like Justin mentioned, the New York Times articles, people people are being very sort of firm on this position. Well, we need everyone in the country vaccinated and trust the experts and all this. And, you know, it's a very firm line. I My fear is I actually think this is sowing distrust. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. My, my kids have, you know, the usual vaccines on the usual schedule. But I can't imagine anything better for the anti-vax community than what has happened over the past few months. I imagine a lot of those Facebook groups, if they haven't been banned, that is, have been growing over time. <laughs> or, or, you know, those networks have been increasing. Why? Well, I think people are naturally skeptical of large government, as they should be, by the way, because we shouldn't expect politicians really have our best interests at heart. That would be kind of a silly thing to do. There's plenty of instances over COVID where things happen. And you look at things that have happened, like the lab leak and these other things that we've discussed, the and how, you know, we flip-flopped on masks and we flip-flopped on social distancing and we flip-flopped on lockdowns and we, you know, the evidence of lockdowns isn't coming out. 
Like if, if you're someone who is a, a stringent anti-vaxxer, like you can just point at this whole thing and say, look, look, we were right. Look, we were right. I, I think my fear is that false assurance on the part of government in, in this whole episode is going to lead to a lot more skepticism of uh, actual truth that, than I think needed to be the case. I think if we just had a more even-handed approach, we were more respectful of people's boundaries, you know, that the, if the corporate press pushed people less or politicians pushed people less, that we would have, I actually think, higher vaccination rates right now, by the way. I, th- I, I think probably a lot of the vaccination thing that's going on right now is political. I think there are a lot of Trump people who are really mad about Joe Biden and, you know, Joe Biden's pushing the vaccine, so I don't want it. I really think that if people were, were more tolerant of differing views and, you know, less pushy about this, I think we'd probably have more vaccinations in the country. I actually think the, the push has been uh, counterproductive, both for the COVID vaccine, but also for the, the reputation of the scientific community as a whole. Uh, you know, I, I think when you intermix science and politics and then you're very pushy, uh, you create distrust of scientists. And we can say this is good or bad. You know, I don't care. I think it's factual. Yeah, I mean, there's too much money, I think, floating between the two also. Yeah. Uh, we brought up the price of vaccines. Like, I don't have any clue what those cost. No, me either. Like, what, what the price is. Is it a dollar five? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, and, and again, we could get into a whole uh, fixed cost versus variable cost type discussion. You know, you had certainly millions of dollars of research and R&D. And now at the margin to actually put vaccine in a vial and, and get it to us might be a buck oh five. I don't know, maybe, but I, I suspect it's even still a little more with, with the care and concern that has to be with transporting the vaccine and taking care of it. Uh, but I haven't heard one. The point is our healthcare system is so non-market. I haven't heard one thing on what is this actually? What is the price? What is the trade-off? As Peter was trying to make a trade-off of, should we try to get an extra shot in or are we good with 90% and and there's just none of that discussion. So how can we even have a meaningful talk? Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And I also want to retread my point one more time because I, I think I thought of a, a, a decent parallel is like, you know, I, I am pretty active in my church and a lot of my, the people in my church uh, do religious homeschooling. And oftentimes you, the, the reaction you hear to religious homeschooling is, well, those kids are going to rebel if you keep forcing, you know, your ideas and these strict morals, like you have to give them room to breathe. And it's like, why is it that society can apply that logic to like individual parents, but we can't apply that logic to the political system? <laughs> like if you're worried about like, oh, people are going to rebel when you're in their face about things. And then we proceed to get in their face about things that we think they need to do. It's like, you know, that this is an inconsistent In the face logic. of people we don't know. Yes. Right. Even, it's even worse than your own kids. Because exactly. at least like even, you know, a rebellious teenager in the back of their head probably understands that their parent cares about them. Whereas like this random, you know, bureaucrat and some agency who made a TV ad about, you know, uh, thank you, mom and dad for getting me vaccinated. That plays <laughs> on Nickelodeon on loop. This is a real thing, by the way. Um, no way. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, again, I'm not totally against all ad campaigns, but like to a certain extent, when you get in some, so in someone's face and you think people are prone to rebel against authority, do the math. You're actually hurting your cause, I think. And I could be wrong on that, but that, that's kind of my, my running opinion. People talk about why distrust in science, scientific communities is up right now. It seems to be the reason. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it smacks of narrative policing, right. Instead of, uh, even trying to get information out. Yeah. It's, and those like, thanks mom and dad for vaccinating me commercials. 
they're so lame. Like that's the other thing is <laughs> that these people who are trying to tell you, you know, vaccines is, you know, they're what kids crave or whatever. Um, <laughs> the, like the, the messaging is so lame, even though it's done by people who think that they're being super cool. And uh, I think that is another way it blows up in their faces um, because it becomes ripe for parody. Yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> if you know one thing about power, it's that power does not like to be laughed at. And they are really setting themselves up um, to be parodied and laughed at. Yeah. Well, Justin, I'd like you to comment a little on the kids' rights thing. I, I, I've been thinking here on really the the burden is different for the parent. And of course, you know, we know ultimately the way the law is set up that the parents are supposed to be having the best interest of the child. I'm just thinking that the parent can kind of weigh all the cost benefits themselves, but you know, this, this additional burden, if you will, that I'm making a choice for my kid. Um, how do, how, what's your feelings on kids' rights with all of this and relationship to the parent? Um, okay. Let's just go back to that two deaths uh, and three deaths number, right? Okay. Um, from that article, which is that, you know, and by the way, this number could be wrong, but it is what is suggested by the data out of Israel. And it is a scientific yes, research a, journal. A, this wasn't just a- No, it's yeah. a peer reviewed, uh, it's three authors, all uh, medical doctors and epidemiologists, I think. Um, so it suggests that you have to accept two deaths by vaccine for every three deaths prevented by a vaccine. Um, now, one of the things we know is that the reactions to the vaccine happen in young, healthy people. So those numbers are actually even worse than they sound at first blush, right? Because we know also that the people uh, who are most likely to die from COVID likely have other conditions and are elderly. Yeah, the, the median death age of COVID is greater than life expectancy. Yes. So uh, for every two people, and these are uh, going to be um, either random or young people who die, uh, you know, for every three uh, elderly and um, people with conditions that are saved by the vaccine, um, we have to throw uh, young, healthy lives away. Mm -hmm. So in addition to this, parental um, consideration for children. I think that this is like a society-wide, uh, this is like sacrificing children to Moloch. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is Phoenician in my uh, opinion. And okay, so I don't know if this is in the article, but I, I, it is very interesting what you're talking about. So we can choose to get a vaccine, but by doing so, uh, these deaths by vaccine are likely or randomly or whatever, just uh, let's, let's just make up a number just for argument's sake. Median age of 35 is the, those two deaths on average. Let's just say that the, it's about a 35 year old. And then the people we're saving with the three, by getting the vaccine, we're saving three lives. Let's just say, again, making up a number, median age is 70. And so that's what you're saying. We're sacrificing the young, too young to save three elderly. Yeah, and so, and if we quantify that in terms of not lives lost, but years, years lost, yeah, years lost, yeah, then that that number is going to flip. Yeah, um, and, and again, and an additional sort of hypocrisy is if you look at some of the so so I I have a very like tenuous relationship with the term ch children's rights 
because I think children do have rights, but oftentimes the people who make that proclamation are like pro like child liberation. Uh, in my view, like this is a very dangerous idea that like children should be able to make all of their decisions. And if parents make decisions for children, they're aggressing against their children. I think this is a very dangerous idea. Uh, but uh, you know, if you look at the people who are interested in that sort of thing, it tends to be people on the left who is like, oh, children should make the decisions for themselves. Parents shouldn't be allowed to make decisions for them. Even very young children, they're very extreme of this is like, there are parents out there who like won't change their kids' diapers if the kid says no. Like it's crazy, but this exists. <laughs> Let's take a panel of children and ask them if they want vaccines, uh, especially if they've had one already. I think this is gonna be a pretty easy answer. And so, you know, I'm, again, I'm actually in favor of making decisions for vaccines. I take my kids to the doctor even sometimes when they don't want to. Uh, but if you're pro-child liberation and you're pro, you know, children make their own decisions, I think you're going to have a pretty low vaccination rate for your kids. If you, at the forefront of your mind is children have rights and no one should be able to decide for them. Kids don't like shots. I mean, this is a very simple logic. Kids don't like shots and they don't have very long time horizons. Uh, so you're going to end up with pretty low vaccination rates. And again, this is an idea that's really popular on the left. This isn't even an idea that I personally endorse, but there, there's just sort of like a, you know, there, there's so many contradictions, uh, you know, that, that are rising out of the, the left between, you know, the children's rights versus this, you know, uh, trust the experts sort of thing. Uh, if there's one thing children don't trust, it's experts. Uh, that, that's <laughs> certainly true. They, they don't, my child doesn't trust me when I say don't jump off of the wooden deck. Uh, they're not going to trust a scientific peer review paper. It's, <laughs> it's just not how their minds work. So I know you force your children to work as chimney sweeps in the local factory yes. since you don't of agree course. with children's rights. Yeah, of course. Is that too far? <laughs> uh, depends on the time period. <laughs> uh, depends on the benefits of the chimney sweeping income. That's, that's right. That's uh, aiding towards something. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like this is a good place to wrap with. Is there any last final words here? Um, yeah. Uh, I think parents should feel uh, empowered and um, that they have both the right and responsibility to speak up for their children and not be cowed into doing something um, that they think might actually be against their children's best interest. Yeah. On a, on a similar note, unless you're a, a terrible deadbeat parent and you're, you're listening, which I imagine none of our listeners are, uh, <laughs> you might not be the expert in uh, you know studies, but you are the expert in your children. Uh, no one else has a, a claim to that. Uh, someone who wants to tell you what to do with your children, who doesn't know your ch child's name, I think that this is probably a, a, a non-starter and it should be. Yeah, So, and I think just to sum up what you two said, if your gut feeling is no, I would say the science is plenty on your side if somebody comes and says, because yeah. of what we talked about today, that the, the probability of there being an actual benefit is so low and there's not data that says that there's a high risk of death or something like that. And so I think you can confidently say, you know, my gut feeling is no, and the science uh, is fuzzy enough, uh, un you know, not even that fuzzy, I, I should say, but depending yeah. on, I, for this particular age group, it's pretty clear that I th I'm not taking yeah, on a right, crazy risk. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's, there's room for reasonable disagreements on this, on this question, yeah. I think. Yeah. Especially for the under 12 year old yeah. range. All right. Well, this has been a production of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University. We'd like to thank you all for listening. And make sure you tell your friends about our podcast if you like what you're listening to. We also have a little donate button on our GortonInstitute.org website. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. <laughs>